This is a story about time, at least on some level. Mark Lochney's days were regimented, controlled by a schedule enforced from the outside. He told History of Art Society Warwick that a loud dissonant buzzer goes off at 6.14 a.m. and everyone must stand and be counted by two guards. Then we get a small cup of cereal, a small muffin, and four ounces of milk for breakfast. Everybody goes back to their cells until we do that again for lunch and dinner. Standing counts again at 12.30 p.m., 4.15, and 9.15 p.m. We get to go outside in a small yard for an hour on the weekend. Lockney describes the experience of living in that box in his artist's statement. There comes a point when the past seems so far behind that memories of a free life become hard to recall, and the future prospect of a return to freedom seems so distant that pondering it seems futile. It's like being stuck in between worlds. There came a point a couple of years into his prison term that Lockney wasn't sure he could endure the years ahead of him, just marking time. In the middle of September in 2015, though, in a defensive move, he turned on the radio to counter the crashing, clattering, and brutish noise surrounding him. He was counting on classical music on WVIA as a screen, and instead he tuned into Art Scene and an interview Fiona Powell had just conducted with the internationally known artist Johnny Romeo from Australia, who had a show at the Converge Gallery in Williamsport at the time, and who had just come to the WVYA studio from talking with classes of school students. This is the exact interview Lockney heard that morning on the bunk in his prison cell when Romeo describes the way he recounts his life when meeting with students. The hungry survive. I remember my first shows where I would organize my own independent shows where I had nobody turn up, nobody. And I had 300 of those shows, group shows, independent shows. I conned other artists into you know, showing with me. I begged other friends, could we have a group show? I did everything in my power to keep on showing. My parents would often turn up and there would be nobody there apart from me and my parents. And my parents said, Johnny, we love you and we support you, but we can no longer come to these shows. And so it was after 300 shows and after this grueling process and years and years of battling that the breakthrough came. I mean, in Sydney, my first commercial gallery approached me and I had a show with my first commercial gallery and that was a sellout and the work was in magazines and in papers and then all of a sudden another gallery in Melbourne approached me and that then turned into Brisbane and then that turned into Adelaide and then that turned into Perth and then that went to Alice Springs and then I had international galleries like galleries in Auckland and galleries in Singapore and Milan and in London and then Los Angeles and it just blew up and now you know this is all I do. There's probably somebody out there listening who is where you were in those days when you were having gallery shows and nobody showed up. What would you say to them? How did you keep yourself going? What would you, you say know, to them? I think the journey is exciting. And I say to kids and I say to young artists, don't be impatient. The process is the best part of it. The journey is the best part of it. One, it helps define who you are. Two, it gives you backbone. If you're strong enough and you don't stop and you don't settle, then things will come to you. But you just don't know when it's going to happen. And the thing is with me, you know, I often thought that 
I was destined for success with certain shows and nobody turned up. And then when I least expected it, it sort of took place. People notice, and my message to people is that people do notice. It's just that you've just got to keep at it and keep making noise. That from an interview with Johnny Romeo done by Fiona Powell and broadcast here in September of 2015. How prophetic of Fiona Powell to ask Johnny Romeo what he might say to someone listening at that very moment who was discouraged and without hope. Little did she and Johnny Romeo know that Mark Lochney was tuned in and that Romeo's words would change his life and time would somehow be redeemed. Mark Lochney was able to endure his prison time by creating art, and he's been released and continues to make art. His work is on exhibit at the Hope Horn Gallery at the University of Scranton, now through May 12th, in an exhibition titled Pyrrhic Defeat. Mark Lochney, a native of Dunmore in Lackawanna County, and Darlene Miller-Lanning, director of the Hope Horn Gallery, paid a visit to the WVIA studios to the very place from which those life-changing words were broadcast eight years ago to talk about Lochney's work and his journey in which his art has been exhibited now at the Museum of Modern Art, PSI, at Brown University, at Rutgers, and has been receiving critical attention in Art Forum, The Atlantic, Paris Review, Forbes, and on NPR. We began the conversation at the beginning when Lochney wasn't so serious about creating art. I played around a little bit as a youth with art, but I didn't take it seriously until about 2015 after hearing an interview that was given right here by Australian painter Johnny Romeo. I was in prison serving a 10-year sentence, and I was two years in, and I was at probably the lowest point of my life and looking for a reason to keep going, to wake up in the morning. And at one point, uh, it's just the, the heaviness of it just became so much that uh, all I could do was just lay there in my bunk and look at the wall. And uh, one day I turned on the radio to hear classical music to kind of drown out the, the chaos around me. And instead of classical music on WVIA, I heard uh, a man talking. And I was about to turn off the radio but he said some words like Picasso, and I could tell that it was an artist. He was talking about art. So I left the radio on, and the artist who was talking began to talk about his early days of making art and how he would work a 9-to-5 job all week and then take that money and rent out gallery space to show the paintings that he would make after work. And for years and years, none of his work would sell. And the only people who would go to his shows were his parents. And then finally, after hundreds of these shows, his parents said that, uh, you know, they loved him, but they couldn't keep coming to the shows. And still, he persevered knowing that it was his path. And uh, something that at that moment really clicked for me. And I immediately picked up a pen and got drawing and realized that, you know, if, if I put in the work, if I believed, if I, if I chose that as my purpose, that good things would come from it. It's humbling to hear that a station, that something we put out was something that really changed your life. Changed my life. Did you ever get in contact with John and Romeo? I did, and we've been very close friends since then. I sent a letter to the gallery that his show was at, and 
he actually gave me my first professional art show. It was a series of 40 pen and ink drawings that I did, and he showed his paintings alongside my work, and we've been in touch since then. People who haven't lived the experience that you have don't understand the limitations that you were facing. You're talking about the noise factor and the need to just drown it out. Tell us how you came to do the portraits, for example. So, initially it began in prison as uh, a way for other guys to stay connected with their families. And I would draw their portraits, and they would send them home as gifts. And I just wanted to sharpen my hand, and I, and I would practice. Some guys would let me draw them as practice. So I would keep those drawings and put them into my portfolio. And I ended up with a dozen or so, and I arranged them on my, my wall in the prison cell. And it, it brought up this feeling in me that there was something there. Uh, I wasn't really sure what, what it was yet that early on, and it, I didn't have a project in mind that early on. But after I collected almost 100 of them, I sent them home, and we showed them first at the Wonderstone Gallery in Dunmore. And the response there validated me and the project, and it gave me the, the motivation to keep adding to the project and continuing to show it. And I just want to say that, uh, you know, like I, I committed some harm. I, I, I caused some harm to some people for which I feel very bad. And uh, I chose art as my way to give back in a way that's positive and, and to kind of participate in life in a positive way. You know, I, I can't undo what I did, but I could try to make things better w with what I've got. When you think about purpose and doing something with meaning and, and something to keep yourself going, how is it that your experience took the shape that it did? Right. So my art making was not, it wasn't aided in any way by the prison. It was kind of in spite of my situation. And to be provided with a purpose in life or to find a purpose in life is so fundamental to not just happiness, but to survival, I feel. Um, I read a book called Man's Search for Meaning by uh, Viktor Frankl, and he talks about logotherapy and the importance of having a purpose in your life. And it seems like the confluence of a bunch of things, a bunch of elements in my life were too uh, synchronicitous to ignore. So I kind of took that as my sign to keep going. Since an artist wasn't coming in to give weekly classes at the time, when you were starting these portraits, you were just making do. So what, you had a pencil and you had to scrounge for paper? Sure, well, I was able to place small orders from Dick Blick. Uh, it would take quite a few months for the order to get to me. But yeah, it was uh, pretty basic materials that I would use, regular pencil, sometimes a colored pencil, and 9x12 Bristol or whatever paper, light drawing paper, that I could get my hands on. Mark, what about the sense of having to approach your fellow prisoners and say, may I draw you? Was that an odd thing in the prison environment to Absolutely. do? Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, skepticism, and understandably so. So at first, it was a little bit of a hurdle. But as the project started to gain steam and uh, the gentlemen were able to see what it was all about and what I was doing with it. There was a, a lot more traffic as far as volunteers. Occasionally there'd be a guy that I would like to, I wanted to draw, but it seems like a bit of a hard nut to crack. So I, I stayed, 
I stayed on them. You know, I continued to ask, and when the time was right, I, I would draw them. And that was always a good feeling to be able to, to get somebody on board. The defenses must always be up. Survival. Sure. And I think the way that prison forms a person's psyche, it's, just, it's, it's in, inherent that distrust is a part of the whole thing and a lot of skepticism and cynicism. So it kind of turns people a little bit wary. And so that was always very gratifying to be able to connect on a more human level. And as someone who's doing portraits, if we see your work online, and we hope to see it at the gallery at the University of Scranton, Mark, the sense is these are sensitive portraits. These are not just like the caricatures out front where you get the main things and that's it. These are human beings who have personality somehow you capture in a very short amount of time to tell us about the, the process. They were all around 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes sketches. It was a matter of getting it done quickly because anything could happen at any time in there. And, you know, a buzzer might go off and everybody has to lock up or there could be any any number of things that happen. So time was kind of essential. And then the pandemic hit and everybody was wearing masks. And that shaved the drawing time down quite a bit because I only had to focus on a little bit of the face and then the rest was a mask. So a lot of the attention could be on the eyes. So it went from 20 minutes down to about 15 minutes and then down to about 12 minutes. And uh, also during the pandemic, it was a lockdown situation where we weren't able to see each other really throughout the prison. So it was a dry, dry period until prison started to open back up a little slowly. And during meal times, we would be allowed out of our cells to get our tray. And during that time, it might be about 15, 20 minutes where we were allowed out to get our tray and I would draw people then. Darlene, these are sensitive renderings. They're very specific. So we've been in the gallery the past couple of days working with the pieces. There are over 700. And some students came through kind of as a preview this afternoon, and they said, are there any doubles? And Mark says no. So they are pretty distinct. Just to clarify, there are some, yeah. there are, there are some subjects who were drawn with a mask and then without a mask. So they're the same person. They're the same person. Times, it's just different times, capturing a different moment in time. Right. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, content of the pieces is about uh, sharing a temporal space with another guy. So it's about marking carceral time for for me. You expressed it so well in a in an artist statement. The idea that the past is past and it's hard to remember that time of freedom. And the very moving woodland scene with just a little figure in striped yellow. You saw that? Yes. There's no color. I mean, there's no bright colors, and but just that little figure in prison garb and the idea that you're in this in-between world and you have to mark time somewhere. How do you get through day by day if you're thinking of, I've got to get through 10 years? Well, for me, it was that purpose of art making that got me up every day. And knowing that I might have two or three guys scheduled for sittings or that I had a painting that was in the works that I was able to get working on. Because I, I did make uh, hundreds of paintings and other drawings besides the portraits. So making art was my way of marking time. And in the gallery, I think, too, the way that it's installed is a conceptual approach to that. So there are individual images that are portraits of people, but taken together, the subject of that show it's it, it's a portrait in a way of 10 years so what does 10 years look like right can you envision time can you can you visualize something that's invisible 
right? Because time is fluid and passing and very tough to pin down. But I think you managed to define it within that series. Thank you. The other thing is that we're not looking at full faces. Right, they're they're all at three-fourths view, all the portraits. They ended up that way because making eye contact and maintaining it for that long is just uncomfortable. So I kind of relieved the sitter of that discomfort by arranging it to be three-fourths view. And I think they kind of portray a bit of dignity at that angle. Um, There's only one portrait in that series that's making eye contact with the viewer, and that's my own because I had to look directly at the mirror to be able to draw it. We think about the tradition of the Western world in eight-way in art and self-portraits. Do you think you're going to do more self-portraits as you go along? Are you drawn to that, do you think, as time passes? Uh, They may not be figurative self-portraits, but I feel like all my pieces are self-portraits in a way. So, sure, I'm I'm planning to continue (laughs) painting and drawing. We know that this series has a title, and it's inspired by a way of thinking about the larger questions of incarceration in this country. Yeah, the title is called Pure Defeat, and I got that from a book, The Rich Get Richer and the Poor Get Prison, by Paul Layton and Jeffrey Raymond. And the theory suggests that the people who have the ability to change a system benefit from the way that it currently works so there's really no reason to change it for them and that it fails in a way that equates to a win for some people so it's the inverse of a pyrrhic victory so a pyrrhic victory would be a a win at such a cost that it actually amounts to a loss whereas pyrrhic defeat claims that the criminal justice system fails at its mission to reduce crime in a way that benefits certain people and corporations. Your 700 plus, 700 plus that we'll see, that's important to you to have that many shown together because of the very fact of the numbers so that we can feel not just 10 years, but we can feel that these are individuals, 700, and that's just as you say, the tip of the iceberg, right? Well, sure. So standing in front of 771 of these portraits is pretty overwhelming. And when you consider that there's two and a half million people in prison in our country and that we have the world's highest incarceration rate, it uh, kind of gives you the sense that it might be a bit of a problem or a bit of an issue that needs to be thought out better. Um, So the visual depiction of that many portraits is meant to uh, have that overwhelming, overbearing effect. Do you feel that, Darlene? It does. It gives you a frame of reference that you wouldn't have in in another kind of way. You say 700 people. I mean, that's that's sort of abstract, right? You know, how often do you stand with 700 people when you know that that's an exact number? You know, maybe you're in a group of 20 or 30 and you can kind of count that out, or you're at a concert and there are a couple of hundred people you know kind of in a general way, but to see 700 images that are very specific and individualized. If you were in a crowd of 700 people, you wouldn't see the faces, right? Just because the spacing and the dimensions are different. But they are pretty clear and they're arranged and, you know, everybody is recognizable and distinct. And so it's a different way of kind of, um, again, getting a visual understanding of what that that number means. And Mark, the art world 
the formal art world has recognized your work. So you've been shown in many important galleries and places, not just as someone who's got a statement to make. What does that make possible for you? Um, so I'm, I'm a very grateful fellow of Art for Justice. Agnes Gund sold a Roy Lichtenstein painting in her collection. It was Roy Lichtenstein's masterpiece was the title. She sold that for $165 million and donated $100 million of it to start the Art for Justice Fund, which is aimed at reducing the prison population by 20%. And to be a grantee really is, it's, it's opened up so many doors for me and uh, enabled me to, to continue doing my work, and I'm very, very grateful for that. The, the portraits were, they are in a show called Marking Time, Art in the Age of Mass Incarceration that debuted at MoMA PS1 in 2020. It's a traveling exhibit and the next show opens on May 1st at the Schomburg Center in New York. So at each stage that it's shown, more doors begin to open. And I couldn't have imagined at first, back in 2014 when I started drawing the portraits, that it would go to as many places as it's gone or to get the recognition that it's gotten. But uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for all of it. You have mentioned that you also noticed the racial makeup of the prison population, which is troubling as well. Oh, sure. I think in Lackawanna County alone, uh, you're 15 times more likely to be imprisoned if you're of color than if you're a white person. Uh, so there's definitely a very noticeable uh, disparity in the prison. You mentioned the COVID pandemic, and that must have added a layer of difficulty to getting through any day because of the isolation. There is a portrait that you did of a fellow prisoner with the mask sort of hanging down. There's one with kind of like a, it's not really a a bow or a ribbon, but it's kind of loose and it hangs down. And there was something about that to me that seemed... um, to show a sort of vulnerability that maybe you wouldn't see in a different sort of way, a different kind of format. You know, everybody has a an image and a facade that you put forward and you you show people, but then when you have to wear a mask, how how does that sort of invert that? And it, it sort of had a different kind of quality. Within the show, we have walls, of course, around the room, but then there's sort of like a section of freestanding walls that form a T, and on either side of that center wall in the T are the places where the drawings with the masks are. So within the gallery, you know, there's this sense of 10 years passing, but there was a rhythm within those years, and then something different happened. There, there was a different kind of a, a moment within that block of time. So those two, the two sides of that wall, I think, kind of convey that feeling. We began talking about the time in 2015 when you turned on your radio to listen to classical music to drown out the chaos of the prison world, and I wonder if you actually like classical music. I'm not a huge classical head, uh, (laughs) but but, uh, I do like uh, Holst and Tchaikovsky. You know, um, I'd, I'd rather a jam band if I could get it. You actually have what looks like a body of work featuring portraits of rock musicians, Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead among them. So that body of work is called Jam Fan. It's a series based on the photography of Jay Blakesburg. And I, I put a temporary cap on that project 
while I started to work on my conceptual paintings and this portrait project that I'm doing now. So there's 106 of those musician portraits, and I think maybe four of those are Jerry portraits. This is music of Jerry Garcia. We began, as I just said, this story with Mark Lochney's search for classical music on the radio and learned he tuned in to an art scene interview in 2015 by Fiona Powell speaking with artist Johnny Romeo. Those words of Johnny Romeo changed his life as we have heard September 2015. He knows the exact date. One year later, in November of 2016, Fiona did another interview with Johnny Romeo, and Romeo described the words he used that day in 2015 as music to Mark Lochney's ears. My words were music to his ears, and it was the injection that he needed at the right moment when he was sort of doubting himself. He's got a massive future as an artist, and I hope that this is the, the start of something quite special. And I know when people see his work, they'll be taken back by it because of its attention to detail and its clarity in imagination. He's very progressive in, in what he's doing and the way he works. And he's got a, a mastery of that pen, the, the, the pen that he uses. And the works are just beautiful. Johnny Romeo, an artist from Australia who is known internationally, speaking with WVIA's Fiona Powell just then in 2016 about Mark Lochney and his work. It turns out that Johnny Romeo was able to give Mark Lochney his first professional show in Williamsport in the Converge Gallery, and it all stemmed from an interview that Fiona did with Johnny Romeo in September of 2015 and something that was heard by Mark Lochney in his cell, in his prison cell. And as we heard him say, it changed his life. We heard from artist Mark Lochney, a native of Dunmore in Lackawanna County, and Darlene Miller-Lanning, director of the Hope Horn Gallery at the University of Scranton, who paid a visit to the WVIA studios, to the very place from which those life-changing words from Johnny Romeo were broadcast eight years ago. Now through May 12th, the Hope Horn Gallery at the University of Scranton will present the exhibition titled Pyrrhic Defeat, a visual study of mass incarceration by Mark Lochney. The installation includes 771 pencil portraits drawn during approximately 20-minute sittings throughout Lochney's 10-year incarceration. As we heard, his work has been exhibited in a group show marking time, art, and the age of mass incarceration at the Museum of Modern Art, PS1, at Brown University, at Rutgers, and he's received critical attention in Art Forum, Forbes, the Paris Review, The Atlantic, and on NPR. For more information on the web, scranton.edu, scranton.edu. You can see 771 pencil portraits drawn by Mark Lochney at the Hope Horn Gallery at the University of Scranton through May 12th. And for more information on the web, scranton.edu, scranton.edu.